though I do need to make a correction in the Panthers Rage episode, I misspoke and continually called T'Challa's head of security, M'Baku, who is the villain man-ape in the comics. Wakabi is Black Panther's head of security. There you go. Jim Shooter's not going to come by and have Ant-Man slap you silly. Well, (laughs) I'm going for that old no prize. Hey everybody, it's Microphones of Madness. I'm Rodney. Over there, Steve. Hey. And today we are talking Red Sun, 1971 French, Italian, and Spanish production western. Oh, you're fucking kidding me. I went and read Superman. <laughs> uh starred Charles Bronson, Toshiro Mifune, Ursula Andress, and <laughs> it's some guy who pretended Alain, French. Alain Delon. Something like that. It's a story of a train robbery gone bad. Train is also carrying the ambassador to the United States from Japan and his uh samurai bodyguards. The and the and the, the robbers the MacGuffin. The MacGuffin, a ceremonial sword, a gift from the Emperor of Japan to President Ulysses S. Grant. Yes. Well, I mean, you got to figure that in Westerns, that's who's going to be the president. Yeah. Yeah. Post Civil War type of thing. Now, it's um, not the most serious movie. No. And, and plot wise, it's your pretty typical uh, odd couple pairing. Uh, but the interesting thing about this movie is that it was. That East meets West buddy Western years before Jackie Chan and Owen Wilson tried to do it. Right. It it definitely was a 70s movie. Oh, definitely. Definitely. And and absolutely a 70s Western at that. Uh, The film was shot on location in Spain. Right. Yeah. This was a spaghetti tamale and there was one and and snail western. <laughs> it wasn't yeah. it like a, a French, Spanish, Italian production. Yes, it was. Uh, <laughs> with a with a British director, uh Terrence Young, right. who was uh who worked on the early James Bond films as well. Well well then and then you also have, you know, an American movie star and a Japanese movie star. Mm-hmm. Um and then Ursula Andress is Swedish. Yep, she's Swedish. And uh, I don't know what what uh, nationality the the guy who played Gauche. Gauche. He was, was French. He was French. He was actually. So, I mean, this is definitely a uh, an international uh, movie. It's a it's a feat, I think. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, you really wouldn't get this sort of thing today. I, I don't think. Now, Not all of this, all of these different influences working together, because there's definitely that that spaghetti western influence. Yeah, I mean that's the first thing that strikes you. Yeah, it you know it's cheap. The it's like everything shot outside rather than on sound stages yeah. with boom mics and the audio sounds just like 
boom mics. <laughs> yeah, and and then uh, well, the cool thing about it being shot on location mm. is you have and in in Spain is you get that southwestern feel mm-hmm. from the from just from the architecture. They they go into the old mission, mm. and it, it looks like that could have been you know that could have been in Arizona. Yeah. It's it. I like it. I think Mifune was great in this film, but he's great in everything. But his the interplay between him and Charles Bronson is what really sells this movie. Yeah, it's, and and it's not often through dialogue. Though there is very little talking in this film. On the whole, it's about two hours long. And much of the the interactions between Charles Bronson and Mifune's character are just them looking at each other, right? Looking at each other, funny. Mm-hmm. It's a uh, it's weird seeing Mifune out of his usual context, right? But still, kind of in his usual context, because right. yeah, because he plays he plays a samurai. In this case, he plays a samurai who is starting to question his uh, devotion to Bushido. Right. And he's also having this crisis because this is uh, right around the Meiji Restoration. And at that point in time, the samurai were a dying breed. Right. Um, He makes a, a comment to Charles Bronson's character that... You know, his father was a samurai and his father, and it, it goes back 400 years, his family were samurai. And now the new world is coming and all the samurai are going to end up as farmers or fishermen. And that this is that recovering the sword is really his last chance at being, you know, being part of that, that legacy. Right. Having uh, something worthwhile mm-hmm. to accomplish as opposed to sitting around and guarding an ambassador, which can't be very exciting. Right. And Bronson is just, he's after some gold. He's, he's after some gold. He's looking for a little bit of revenge because his partner, Ghosh, essentially double-crossed him, tried to kill him, and him for dead. made off with the gold. Left him for dead, made off with the gold. If it wasn't for the Japanese delegation, he would have been dead. They mm-hmm. kind of nursed him back to health so he can act as a guide. So what what happens is uh Ghosh during their train robbery, Ghosh steals this fantastic sword that you had mentioned. Mm-hmm. And uh a lot of their their honor is caught up in this sword. Right. because uh, it's a gift from the Emperor, you know, that's the top. The, yep. The Emperor <laughs> entrusted this sword to be delivered to the President of the United States. Right. You know, it's like king to king type of transfer sort of thing. And it's these guys' job to make sure that happens. Right. And uh, Charles Bronson uh, is is nursed back to guide him to his ex-partner mm-hmm. so that the samurai could get the sword back and, and enact revenge. Right. And it was a very shrewd deal that the ambassador cut because it's like, we want the sword back. You want the gold he stole our goals align. Right. And if we don't do this in seven days, he's going to kill himself. I'm going to kill myself. 
and Charles Bronson's character as well. Well, I'd like to see that. Yeah. yeah. And he's Charles, like, well, Charles, if you don't help us, we're going to cut your head off. Well, uh, I don't want to see that. I'm not a huge Charles Bronson fan. Right. But he does play the same type of character from his character in The Dirty Dozen, which I did like. Mm-hmm. So he can definitely do casual rogue. Oh, yeah. And, 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 and he, he, does, does, he does it so well in this one. And that's what he does in this film is casual rogue, as opposed to badass with a gun out for revenge. Right. And, and it is very casual. He's always like, uh, he's all smiles and he's got angle on everything. He works yeah, connections. Mm hmm. Real laid back and yeah, it gets up there and. He's just not getting along with Mifune's character. His name is Kuroda. And they have several really interesting and funny encounters. He tries to ambush him with, tries to run away from him. Kuroda catches him. Tries to push Kuroda down a hill. Kuroda finds him again. Well, that was great because he ends up tumbling down the hill and Kuroda ends up running down the hill. Right. (laughs) And it's funny watching... Charles Bronson trying to keep his balance, or it's probably the stunt man mm-hmm. going ass over tit down the side of this hill. And uh and um is just like running down the hill <laughs> and staying in front of him the whole time. Yeah. So that that was cool. Um obviously they, they were even though their their purposes do align, they were at cross purposes in the timing of what they wanted right um so the japanese just wanted kill the guy get the sword sword. that's all they cared about and obviously bronson needs to find out where um, it was a lot of money yeah like entire payroll train of gold coins yeah so you don't carry that around so he had to find out where the loot was stashed and um mifumi wasn't wasn't having that. Mm-hmm. And, and Bronson is like, look, I need at least a day to talk to him, beat him up, rough him up, get the information out of him. Then you can kill him, get your sword back and go on about right. your business. You know, so Bronson's character, even though he's, he's essentially grade a scum, you know, was not unreasonable. Right. He, he is definitely um, flexible. Mm-hmm. As long as he's getting what he wants. Right. He's very flexible about it. Whereas uh, Mifume uh, is sticking to, you know, the rigid application of the code of Bushido. Mm-hmm. No, I kill him. I see him. I kill him. Right. Which in, if, if you look at uh, the one with, with Owen Wilson and Jackie Chan, mm-hmm. you kind of have that same dynamic in that one. Right. Where there's a, a cultural cross purpose mm-hmm. that occurs, and I, you know, I don't know. Obviously, the the Bushido code isn't exactly what um, we think it is. It's definitely been romanticized, much like chivalry has. Um, and I don't know how, in in reality, how adherent to the code mm-hmm. someone would be, and I, I but. It's a major plot point in this, right? That he well, it's his interpretation. That's that's the only thing that matters. Is that 
Kuroda's interpretation of the code. And yeah, it does put them at cross purposes. But over the course of the adventure, then they have seven days. Right. And over the course of the adventure, you know, they, they come to respect each other for their unique talents and strengths. Uh, Kuroda tends to respect uh, uh, Bronson's character, who is uh, Link. Starts respecting Link's flexibility and almost devil-may-care attitude because, you know, he's not ruthless. He'll kill a man in a fair fight. He'll kill a man if he thinks he's going to start a fair fight. But, you know, he's not he's not out there. He's not cruel like right. Ghosh is. Ghosh right. is just cruel. Right. Yeah, I mean, Ghosh is definitely the evil guy. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's dressed in black, too. <laughs> dressed in black. And, he, and he has a, a neckerchief. And a neckerchief. And a pocket watch. Yeah, that he twirls around. So you know he's, he's bad. And he's left-handed. Hence the name. Mm-hmm. Now... There are, and so Kuroda starts respecting Link in in terms of his freedom, his flexibility, and his own kind of loosely applied code of honor. And Link starts respecting Kuroda for you know just being this stoic. (laughs) The fact that he kicks all sorts of ass all the time, right? And they have so they. It's just funny exchanges. They get in a fist fight. And Kuroda just starts throwing Charles Bronson's character all over the <laughs> side was, of this mountain. And he's a, like, you think you can do that again? Oh, most certainly. Yeah, that was a great exchange because I think, I mean, historically, I don't think a lot of Westerners knew about um, martial arts mm-hmm. at, the, at the time. Right. And um, I, I'm sure that Link felt that he could take care of himself in a scrape. Right. <laughs> and uh come on, make a fist. <laughs> <laughs> and here comes uh here comes Kuroda with uh you know karate. Judo action. Judo and, and yeah and he doesn't even hit him. He doesn't he doesn't punch him. He just tosses him. Mm-hmm. So it's great. It's, it's uh it's it's that was what the second their second exchange yeah, their first exchange was uh, uh, Link tried to attack him with a tree branch. Right. And he, <laughs> oh, yeah. And he cut it up with his many folded sword. Yes. Which is, which is fun. <laughs> so, so you, that's basically the first act is sets up the, the situation with the, with the MacGuffin mm-hmm. and explores the, the, evolving relationship between the two main characters. Right. The second act starts with them getting closer to Ghosh. Well, coming up and having to start working together. Right. Coming up with a plan. And you, you kind of get that one when they get to the brothel. Mm-hmm. Cause there's always a brothel. Yes. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, they, they, they break bread together. They drink together. And it's funny how um, I forget what they're drinking, but it was like some crappy stuff, right? And uh, smells like smells like horse piss. Tastes yes. like horse piss. But the the, the uh, what they were drinking out of weren't 
weren't like Western cups, but they looked like the, the sake bowls. Right. So, which was kind of odd, like an odd choice of prop. Yeah, it's it's a little uh, a little interesting in, as far as the set design and things like that goes. You see, you see the the parallels that they were trying to draw. Um, because the gourds everybody was drinking out of, you know, looked like you know, the the famous wine bottles that Drunken Master carries and things like that. Yeah, and and it's true because the both the 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 classic westerns mm-hmm. like the, the, the westerns from the fifties, like the John Wayne westerns and, mm-hmm. and, and your um, samurai films are, you know, cut from the same cloth. They are, they are. Uh, Kurosawa uh, is famously quoted as saying that all he wanted to do was make John Ford movies and his samurai films uh, were based around i mean he did ron which was essentially uh king lear yeah and then he had seven samurai yojimbo both of which starred uh mifune as well right. and uh the hidden fortress the hidden fortress another mifune film mm-hmm. that was a long-running relationship between the the two men there yeah they had a falling out apparently at, at one point but mifune was in like almost all of Kurosawa's films. Yeah. And interestingly, and the other interesting thing is that Mifune was in Seven Samurai. Seven Samurai was remade as the Magnificent Seven. That's a Western. And Bronson was in it. And if I remember correctly, they played the same character. Having never seen the Magnificent Seven, I couldn't tell you. Um, I don't. I don't watch a lot of westerns. Yeah, I believe Mifune played Shikijo, who was the the imposter. Right. He was. He was um, just a guy who wanted to be a samurai. Right. And he found like the lineage certificate, but he couldn't read it. So he's like, he found the lineage certificate of a twelve year old. Right. And he uh, spends most of the movie running around in a diaper. Yeah, a fundoshi. He does. He doesn't wear any pants. So I thought it was really interesting that you had that Seven Samurai connection between Charles Bronson and Mifune, and then they did a western, a western samurai film together, right? Which was really cool, and that was the coolest part of it is that it was there. There weren't any other movies like this. Um, a lot of westerns depicted. You know, Asians as that Bonanza Hop Sing kind of character. Yeah, like a coolie. Yeah. And this one, Mifune is classic Mifune. Yeah. I, I, it's, uh, they treat the, the Japanese um, very respectfully in this film. Mm-hmm. The Comanche, not so not much. Not so much. <laughs> but, but uh, yeah. So you, you definitely have um, the, I won't say a reverence, but a respect mm-hmm. for Japanese culture, or at least you know film culture, right? In in this, which is it's good because you know, like you said, um, you get a lot of films. You know, look at Breakfast at Tiffany's. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, was, uh, what was that Mickey Rooney? Yeah, Mickey Rooney. God, or or even like more like modern films, like uh, was it Sixteen, 16 Candles? Candles, yeah. Where um, Asian 
Asians are just treated like uh, comic relief. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're they're not taken seriously, and and you obviously you don't have that in this film. In the, in the end of the second act and the and the third act, you have the Comanche, right, um, and- which are treated like the savages of every other Western. There is no, the Comanche are treated with no redeeming qualities whatsoever. Right. Um, I mean, you you first hear about them as they raided this mission. And uh, if they, if whoever didn't make it out was slaughtered. Mm -hmm. They had a choice to to fight or run. Right. And looks like they chose run. When you first actually see them, um, they're in the process of trying to rape, Ursula Anderson's character, Anders's character. And they do the whole wet rawhide thing to her. Yeah, that's actually, I saw that and I was like, oh, wow, I just read that in a story because I knew what they were doing mm-hmm. only because I read that story. Right. It's like, that's wet rawhide, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I know what and that And then Charles Bronson says, that's wet rawhide. That'll choke her out. I, I, I knew that. Slowly. I knew that. <laughs> Yeah, so um, I I think that from the the limited ex- limited experience I have with watching re- westerns, mm-hmm. um, the other the searchers, their big MacGuffin is this is the girl who is taken by the Comanche, and I think the Comanche are like the is like Western lingo for ultimate savage. Yeah, um, these these are the ones that that are unreasonable and are actually, you know, the subhuman mm-hmm. uh, enemy. Yeah. And, and that's, that's one of the, the foibles of the classic Western is that, yeah. First nations are never treated with much respect. Really? Nobody is. I mean, you think about them, the how they, how they treat Mexicans in Westerns. Uh, yeah, they're all, they're well, all drunk and lazy, and kind of like in this movie, right? Exactly. I mean, you know, the 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 Mexico Mexican stereotypes are there as well. But but to, if you really sit yeah. down and think about it, the entire movie is just this collection of stereotypes just thrown at it at you. Yeah, um, some some are positive stereotypes, um, mm-hmm. the cowboy and the samurai, mm-hmm. and some are. You know, and, and the hooker with a heart of gold. Mm-hmm. Uh, the brothel filled with supermodels. Right. Well, this is the time before STDs. Yeah. <laughs> before, like, half half the, the clientele and, and the, the women would have had their noses falling off from syphilis. <laughs> right. But no, in, in this movie, supermodels. Every yeah. one of them. Yeah, well... Ursula Anders was a supermodel, wasn't she? She was. She was. Now, let's talk about Ghosh. Because he is he's he's actually as the catalyst for the entire plot of the movie. You don't really know too much about him. No, and and he kind of seems a little out of place. Mm-hmm. Which maybe is like part of his mystique. Yeah. I mean, um, he definitely looks different from every other character. First off, he's clean. Mm-hmm. He's clean. He is dressed. He is dressed to the nines. Yeah, he wears. You know, he's he's got the the suit, the vest, the kerchief, mm. the hat, the pocket watch. It's like the entire som- ensemble 
was tailored specifically for him. Right. It was almost like he was taken from a different movie. Mm-hmm. Whereas everybody else, with the exception of Kuroda, is everything's patchwork. You know, um, Link is wearing this like fringed buckskin jacket, a pair of pants, boots, no socks, this beat up hat. Ghost is just like Dapper Dan. Yeah. No matter what happens to him, he is pressed. Yes. And uh, he has his one weakness. That's which right. Is, uh, which is Christine. Christina, yep. Ursula Andress's character. Yes, the hooker with the heart of gold. And so Link's idea is, okay, we can't catch him on the road, but we'll know, we know he'll be going after her very soon. So we'll go to her. We'll sit there and we'll wait, wait him out. So they go to, um, I forget what town it was. Yeah, I, I Hook up at the brothel and essentially wall her up in her room, <laughs> lock the door, board the windows so she can't escape and they can't like sneak in and grab her in the middle of the night. And Ghosh is a, is a smart villain. He sends his thugs to do it. Yeah, of course. And there's a shootout and a stabbing. Because Kuroda is surprisingly effective for a for a guy with a sword. Yeah, and everybody else has guns. Got that that magic samurai shit happening. He didn't cut any bullets out of the air. No, no. But Charles Bronson shot a fucking spear out of the air. Yeah, he did. (laughs) (laughs) But the strange thing was is that a samurai of that time would have been experienced with rifles as well, right? Because rifles were becoming the new the new thing well rifles were around even um in in the uh, edo period mm-hmm. oh yeah they were uh you know you had your matchlock rifles and whatnot right uh gifts from the portuguese and the dutch you know we have come to bring you guns and god so you know it's unusual that his character shied away from guns completely well, I mean, right and they don't really they kind of try and and play up that fish out of water he's never seen guns aspect cuz you get the feeling that he hadn't right right but in, on the other hand it's like the scene where he first speaks to gosh and he's like i can kill you now and he's like gun sword we all die the same way so they they let him be familiar, but not right. Yeah, well, and, and I think you kind of have to have that that gap for the for, for, just for the film, just to have that 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 cultural um, gulf there mm-hmm. between you know East meets West. What the West is guns, the East is not. Right, the East is swords yeah. and honor. And, right. The more and, the more opposites that you can you can hang on these characters, um, you know, the more tension you get, mm-hmm. the more comedy you can get out of it, and the bigger the payoff when it's re- reconciled. Mm-hmm. One of these days, I'm going to run into you without all that hardware. 
Right. <laughs> and he just takes it off. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and and I think and I, I, I think Charles Bronson's character they they play it off because Link constantly forgets that Kuroda speaks English. Yeah. Well, I, I didn't know that Mifumi spoke English. Because, <laughs> I, I mean, why would I? I've only seen him speaking Japanese. Right. But you have that, that one scene where the, they're at the top of the hill and Mifune begins speaking after after speaking with Ghosh, of course. So the audience knows he speaks English, but he doesn't speak to Link. For and, a while, and honestly, if you're in the ambassador's party, mm-hmm. you're speaking the language of the land, right? I mean, it just mm-hmm. you've had to, right? Well, and and when they first meet everybody, the ambassador is speaking. You don't cut in. The ambassador spoke really, really good English. Mm-hmm. Um, the ambassador, that's true. Um, Mifune, I wouldn't say broken English, but he definitely was English as a second language. Right. But his 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 lines were also very uh, brusque. Yes. He was he was but, very to the point when he would say something. Yeah, but you know what? That's Mifune in every role I've ever seen him in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, that's just how that, that even with him performing operates. in English, he's he's a man of few words. <laughs> that's just how the man operates. It is cool to watch him reprise that role of because mm. just the, the way he moves. Mm. Yeah, like the very first when we were introduced to his character, he steps off the train just to stretch his legs and kind of look around. And he just he steps out on that train platform and he owns that set. Yeah, he's very panther like. Mm-hmm. But how about that greeting, that first scene where Bronson's character and Mifune's character meet each other on the on the platform, and everybody else is like all wide eyed and staring at him because he looks so different. Right, and those two guys are like, "Sup?" <laughs> they give each other little like little brief nods. <laughs> now, how well did this film do when it was out? Because I, I before you mentioned it, I had never heard of this film. Right. Um, I don't think it did very well. Not many people know about it. I had to, the first time I saw it was probably like 2003, 2004. And I had to do, I had to hunt for it. I actually got the DVD from Netflix back when you got DVDs from Netflix. But I had heard about this film. Uh, I want to say the year um, Shanghai Noon came out. Okay. So there was a, yeah, there was a little blurb. In a karate magazine I was reading that, you know, talked about, well, if you haven't seen, if you, you know, are interested in or have seen Shanghai Noon, you should check out this movie. Because it kind of did the Shanghai Noon thing before. Kind of, but. And it has Toshiro Toshiro Mifune in it. Right. (laughs) Go, go watch this movie. And I had forgotten about it for a few years and then I, it like clicked into my brain and I searched on Netflix and there it is. Now the, well, the print that you saw from Netflix were the, were the, uh, cause it scared the shit out of me. Yeah. The print, the print that you, that, that we watched for, before the show was the French cut. Yeah. 
with English with an English soundtrack though. English soundtrack, but true. all the titles yeah. and everything were in French. Yeah, I know. Uh, the one I saw was the the American release because I I put that on. I started watching it, and I was like, oh my god, we're fucked. I hope there's subtitles. <laughs> right, that's what I was thinking too. And that's why when when uh when you messaged me, I was like, don't worry. It's in English. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. One of the weird things about the production of this film, um, I don't know if you noticed it, was how the the Comanche sound effects were just Foley noises added in later. And there's that one scene at the mission where all the characters are together, the Comanche attack. Right. And... They're they're just sitting there listening, and you hear it receding off, and all of a sudden it just stops, <laughs> and everything goes silent. It's like they they whoever did the sound mixing just cut the the foley sound right there, <laughs> which was which is great. Also, you know, you have that that weird disconnect because you hear all the yip, yip, yip noises, right. You know, all the stereotypical racist bullshit noises. And you look at the actors playing the Comanches. They're oh. not moving their mouths. They're not making any noises. No, and they're all white. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was there was different. one guy. There was, was one guy that was definitely painted up. Oh, the, the guy with the with the braids? Uh, I think that Skin, guy. Skinny guy with braids. Yeah, the guy who got the one-on-one fight with Mifune. Yeah. Yeah, and all the well, all the Mexicans were mm-hmm. white. They were all played by white guys. It's Europe, I guess. You know, you got to save money on production, right? Well, you can definitely tell it was cheap. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly, I'm sure that the bulk of the money was spent on uh, Charles Bronson and and Mifune. and Ursula Andress. Yeah, yeah. Those three actors right there were probably the bulk of the budget. That was the budget. <laughs> Still, if you get a chance to watch it, it is an entertaining movie. It's it's a almost unknown Mifune film. I'll tell you, I thought it was going to be oh, I thought it was going to be two hours of just groaning, and uh, it was you know until the it, until the third act, it was very entertaining, mm-hmm. and, and and you know once. Once the third act hit with the Comanche, then it was a little cringy. Definitely. But it was still, for what it is, a, a fairly decent movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can't sit here and say that that from one side of my mouth that Evil Dead 2 is like one of the greatest films ever made and then come around and say something that, you know, has probably better production values which is still entertaining is a crappy film. Mm-hmm. So oh, it's yeah. I really enjoy this film. Cringe, cringeworthy moments aside, it's probably one of my favorite Westerns and really because it, because of the first two acts and the interplay between Bronson and, and Mifune, I think they really had good chemistry on set and I probably could have just watched them walk across the desert for another two hours. There, there I was, there was definitely, it started to drag a little um, with the walking across the desert. Yeah. But they, but they ended it um, 
They kind of ended it and then went back to it and then ended it. <laughs> right, but they gave them horses. Yes. So they were able, they, there was less walking across the desert. And then it was just like riding across the desert. Riding across the desert. And then they added Ursula Andress's character and, and really her character is is weird because she's not the love interest um, of one of the protagonists. She doesn't fall for Charles Bronson. She doesn't you know, fall for Mifune. She pretends to. She pretends to. She, she can try to get away from Bronson's character. Right. But because she is ugh, the whole dynamics of that shit. Because she, she's rescued right. by she, them. Right. She's kidnapped by them, escapes them, is rescued by them, and then that becomes like her bargaining chip. It's like, look, they saved me. Just let them go. Right. She, she, her, her character arc, which is a much shallower, shorter arc, mm-hmm. is that she definitely she redeems herself because you know the two principles saved her life, and she can't betray that. Right. Because she, she is, she's the hugger with the heart of gold. Mm-hmm. And and of course, you know, you have uh, Mufume's arc where at the end he realizes that honor isn't as important as he thought it was. Right. And, and, you know, friendship is more important. Mm-hmm. Then he dies. Which is kind of weird because part of the reason why he was going out for revenge is because his friend was killed by Ghosh. Mm-hmm. You know, the guy he's known all of his life as opposed to, you know, five or six days. And then Charles Bronson, well, he, he, he almost has like a Snake Plissken moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and really his character the only thing that changed about his character well no he, he doesn't he, he decides that he doesn't really care about the gold right and that that it's more important you know to, that to his, honor his friend mm-hmm. <laughs> you know it's like look I've spent five days the, the the whole movie takes place over five days. I've spent five days with this guy, and he's been a better friend to me than this guy I've been partnered up with for years. Yeah, I mean, Mufume basically gave his life to save Bronson. Mm-hmm. Whereas Ghosh tried to kill him. Yep. And that was his uh, running buddy. That's right. That was his running partner. They'd been together for years. Fun film. Fun film. If you get a chance, check it out. Red Sun, 1971, released in the United States, 1972. Yes. That does it for this week. Yeah. Uh, I believe next week. A little noir action. A little noir action. Uh, Yeah, we were going to do Gene Wolfe's The Land Across, but then Jessica Jones Season 2 dropped, and we're going to take a look at that series. So until next week. 30 luck points. Yes, sir.